Well, good morning, Manningham Christian Centre. Probably Matt and I shouldn't have hugged then. Uh, that's not two metres, but anyway, um, when, uh, when you love one another and when you care about one another, that's the sort of thing that you still do. So uh, what an interesting time that we're all living through and living in. And it's just a great pleasure and a privilege to be here this morning with you at uh, Manningham Christian Centre. This morning, Matt's asked me to take a few moments to speak with you about mutual submission in the context of love. You know, when we listen to people like me, preachers, uh, we're very used to learning through our cerebral brains, and we think if we know it in our head, we know it. But I've discovered through life that what people know in their heads and how they behave can actually be two different things, because we have another seat of knowledge, and that's in our heart. And that seed of knowledge is formed out of experience. And out of experience, we come to believe all sorts of things that aren't necessarily all that helpful. And when the pressure of life comes on and we're squeezed by life, generally what's in our heart will come out more than what's in our head. And so before we start this morning, I'd just like to pray. I really want that in your lounge room and wherever you are watching today, that the Spirit of the Lord would come upon you and you would have an experience with him and what I'm talking about would become revelation knowledge for you, that it would either grow as revelation knowledge that you already have or it would begin as revelation knowledge in a space that you're exploring. So let me just pray together because I really want you to encounter the Lord more than you would encounter me. So Lord, I thank you this morning that the Spirit of the Lord is falling in every lounge room, every kitchen, every bedroom, every place where people might be watching this on their phone out walking. I pray, Holy Spirit, that revelation knowledge would impact the heart of every person that's under the sound of my voice. Those, Lord, that are watching after the service, Lord, let this be a moment where you bring your knowledge to our hearts that would be changed and transformed in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So why would we be talking about the topic of mutual submission in the context of love? Well, there's a couple of reasons. The first reason is because of a word called perichoresis. Perichoresis is a Greek word and it actually means the divine dance. There was a very significant church leader in the Orthodox Church who lived around about the end of the 200s coming into the 300 AD. And Athanasius was a man who was trying to understand theologically how does the Godhead live together? He was trying to understand how the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit related to one another. And as he went on that journey, he used this term perichoresis, that they have this divine dance with one another, that they dance with one another in relationship based in love. But out of that love comes things like honor and respect and collaboration and humility, but also mutual submission. And so the father asked the son, would he die on a cross to provide a way for us back into relationship with God and into the family of God? And Jesus, out of mutual submission, said yes. The Holy Spirit then said, the Father then asked the Holy Spirit, would you get Jesus out of the grave after he's died? And the Holy Spirit said yes. And then Jesus came back to heaven and seated at the right hand of the Father and says to the Father, I've paid the penalty for every human being's sin, so I'm now the judge of all mankind. Will you accept my judgment, Father? And the Father says, yes. So there's mutual submission. So the primary reason why mutual submission should be a part of our lives the primary reason why mutual submission should be deeply embedded in our character and the way that we respond in life, the primary reason why mutual submission should be present when we're squeezed by life, by relationships where we feel betrayed, where we feel marginalised, where we feel people are lying about us, where we don't get our own way, 
the primary reason why we should be navigating our lives out of our own pain and disappointment, out of our humanity, into a Christ-like response is because that's how the Godhead lives. And we have been adopted into the family of God and we are now children of God and we're meant to live according to the ways of their family, not the families that we grew up in, as wonderful as some of them were, but were and as painful as some of them were. And so the primary motivation for mutual submission is because it's part of the way that God lives with himself. It's called perichoresis, the divine dance. The second reason is because it's all the way through the New Testament. It's just everywhere in the New Testament when you stop to look at it. So Matthew chapter, sorry, Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 21, be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. I find this really interesting that there's this idea of be subject to one another, but it's in the fear of Christ. There's something that Paul saw about mutual submission, about being subject to one another, that was incredibly important to Jesus. And that we need to understand mutual submission is one of those virtues, one of those characters, one of those responses that we need to do in the fear of Christ. Now, Jesus is a wonderful person. We're not meant to be afraid of him, but the word fear here means in awe, that we would actually hold up what he says as more important than what we say. And the New Testament church, just like the church today, people in the New Testament, just like us today, we struggle with mutual submission because we actually prefer to be right. We prefer to get our own way. We prefer when we're hurt to hurt back rather than to forgive. And so we're called to live in the kingdom of God. We're called up into a higher place where we can only do it because of God's grace, because of his empowering presence. The Christian life isn't about trying harder to be like Jesus. The Christian life is about being humble enough to repent of my ways and ask the Holy Spirit to illuminate to me his ways that I might be able to start to walk in them. And so be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Galatians chapter 5 verse 13, through love serve one another. Philippians 2 verse 3, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. Now this is really easy to do when everything's going great. This is really easy to do when we all agree and when everybody's happy and we're all going in the same direction. But we all know that life isn't always like that. We all know that there are moments where somebody has an alternative point of view to us that we can't quite understand, nor can we see, let alone agree with. And so it's at those moments where we have the opportunity to discover the ways of God and not the ways of our humanity. In 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 5, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. This idea of mutual submission is all the way through the New Testament. And it's there for a number of reasons. The first reason is found in Romans chapter 12 verse 5, where it says, We who are many are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. And so we've lost this idea in our individualistic society. Our society over the last hundred years has become so self-centric, even to the point now where we take selfies on phones and think that that's the best way to communicate to the world. <laughs> We're so individualistic and we seem to think that everybody's opinion is equal when it's not. Social media has got a little bit of blessing, but it's got a whole bunch of cursing in it as well. Everybody's opinion is not equal. If I have a brain tumour, I want to speak to a brain surgeon, not to a Tyler. As wonderful as a Tyler would be, <laughs> but I'm not going to talk to a Tyler about my brain surgery. Everybody's opinion isn't equal. 
And so when we learn to live in mutual submission, we actually begin to go, well, maybe somebody's other, I can learn something from somebody else's opinion. Rather than social media, we say things on social media that we would never say face to face to a person. We speak about things in ways that we would never dream of if they were sitting in our lounge room or even sitting beside us in a car. And so we seem to have created a culture around us in the Western world where mutual submission somehow falls way down the priority list because we value other things more highly. And so this morning, it's about us discovering what would God be wanting to say to you? Not the person beside you. Don't nudge them in the (laughs) ribs this morning with your elbow and say, hey, this is for you. Let me nudge everybody in the ribs and say, hey, this is for you. Because I don't know about you, but I want to see the kingdom of God come in my generation. I love worship. I get experiences with God in worship that I don't get anywhere else. But it's not who I am in worship that counts. It's who who I am under pressure that counts. Because when I'm under pressure, then I discover who I really am. So one of the reasons why it's all the way through the New Testament is that the New Testament people understood they were actually members one of another. And so if I'm arguing with you, I'm actually hurting myself because I'm a member with you. And I'm hurting other people who are watching on. And so this whole idea of mutual submission plays into a much bigger idea that we are actually members one of another. If my pancreas argued with my liver, I would be in real trouble. I'd be in deep, deep trouble because they actually need to cooperate with one another. And so we need to understand our body is made up of a whole bunch of members and they work together in mutual submission. They each play their part. And so we're all called to do the same thing. Somehow in the midst of this conversation, this is about five other messages that I could preach this morning about the fact that we're members one of another. But it is a really significant and important idea that Paul explored in many different situations. So the reason why mutual submission in the context of love is important is because of perichoresis. The second reason is because we're all members one of another. The third reason is because of the New Testament commandment. And so in John chapter 13, verse 34, Jesus says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Now, there's about 10 messages that sit off this one, so let me hopefully don't crash land this idea in the next two minutes. The first idea here is that it's a new commandment, so we've never heard it before. The second idea is that Jesus has actually rewritten the second of the two great commandments of the Old Testament. The second of the two great commandments of the Old Testament was love one another as you love yourself. Here Jesus is saying, love one another as I have loved you. And so he's elevating our love from how we have experienced love with other people and we love ourselves to elevating it into a place where we love as he has loved us. And so he invites us on a journey of experience and encounter to actually know how deeply he loves us so that we can give that love away to other people. This is the New Testament commandment. You know, people like me often refer to the two great commandments of the Old Testament, which I celebrate. I'm certainly not in any way against that. But we miss the fact that this actually is the New Testament commandment, that our spirituality as Christians is meant to be marked by our love for one another. It's the benchmark. If you want to know if you're maturing as a Christian, then just look at how you are changing in the way that you love people. Because that's what the New Testament commandment is. 
Let me turn to Matthew chapter 28, and I'm bouncing through a whole bunch of ideas here that I teach uh, in, in different settings over you know, days. But uh, Matthew 28, verse 18, And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, doing three things. Number one, baptizing them. Number two, teaching them. And number three, remembering. The, third, the second one is teaching them. Teaching them to observe or obey all that I have commanded you. And so what Jesus is saying is that the central topic of conversation in your community life together, as you're becoming a disciple, the central issue that we need to continually reference in our teaching to become greater disciples is to observe or obey all that I've commanded you. The word observe or obey in here, depending on which version of the Bible you're reading, means this, to guard from loss by keeping your eye upon. And so Jesus is saying to be a great disciple, you need to continually learn, continually discover, to guard from loss by keeping your eye upon something. What are we meant to guard from loss and keep our eye upon? What are we meant to defend? What are we meant to make the priority? What are we meant to make sure that we don't lose sight of it, that we don't get drawn away and distracted by other things? It's all that I have commanded you. I want to suggest to you here that this word I is unbelievably important. Jesus said, a new commandment I have given to you. In John chapter 15, verse 10, and then later on in verse 17, he says, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. And so when Jesus said, guard from loss by keeping your eye upon all that I have commanded you, I think he was narrowing down onto his commandment for New Testament living. And that is love one another as I have loved you. And so if we are going to understand the power of mutual submission, it sits inside of love. As we've already said in Galatians 5.13, through love serve one another. And so it all begins in love. Mutual submission is actually an expression of love. Perichoresis, the way that the Godhead live together, they, they are love, God is love. And so mutual submission is not a decision of our will, it's connected to how much I'm maturing in loving. And so if I'm not a person who lives with mutual submission, then I've got something to learn about how to love better. And that's what it means to be a disciple. Jesus said, go into all the world and make disciples and teach them. Continually reference, guard from loss by keeping your eye upon how much Jesus loves you so that you love from that place. Love one another as I have loved you. We're not meant to love one another out of our own strength. We're meant to go on continually daily journeys of having revelation knowledge about how much God loves me, which is not in my head, it's in my heart that I have experienced and encounters that change the way that I believe God feels about me. And from there, I then love you from that place. I'm not loving you from my history, where I was rejected and I wasn't necessarily understood and where I became afraid because of what people thought think about me. I'm not loving you from those places. I'm learning to love you from how God loves me, that I'm forgiven, that I'm totally accepted, that I'm the beloved of God, that I'm chosen, that I'm holy. And so if that's who I am, then I love you from there. And I see you are chosen. I see you're holy. A little bit broken that makes mistakes, but still you're holy, just like I am. And so, so we find that mutual submission is deeply embedded inside of love. And that's what it means to be a disciple. To be a disciple, our benchmark is the way that we love. 
Our benchmark is an hour attends the church, as great as that is, and I celebrate it because I'm a church leader as well. And I think the church is a wonderful place for us to grow together. But our benchmark isn't what we do in church. Our benchmark isn't how much we give. Our benchmark, all of those things aren't at the benchmark is love. And that I come to church because I love the people of God. And I give because I love God and I love the people that I'm being generous towards, generous towards God, generous towards others. It all comes back to love. It's not a set of behaviours that I'm ticking boxes in to make sure I get it right so that God thinks I'm a wonderful person. He already thinks you're a wonderful person. Even while I was yet a sinner, God loved me. His wonder in me is not connected to my behaviour. His wonder in me is because I'm his creation. I have the Imago Dei in me, the image of God, just like everybody that we drive on the road with. Well, there's increasing numbers, aren't there? Yeah. It was one of the benefits of lockdown was that, the, anyway, we won't go there. Don't get distracted, Peter. And, uh, and so, so this whole idea of mutual submission is deeply grounded in the idea that love leads me to live rightly with other people. That, that I'm, I'm actually motivated to be in right relationship with other people. That, that's, that, that when I'm in broken relationship, my motivation isn't to win or my motivation isn't to prove that I'm not responsible for the break. My motivation is actually to see the relationship repaired because my highest value is to live in right relationship with people. Because that's how God lives with himself. They live in right relationship with one another. And so if I'm going to learn to live in right relationship with you, if I'm going to learn to live in right relationship with everybody around me, then I have to be faithful to the relationship. I have to actually be faithful to how I love you and how I care about you and being faithful includes mutual submission. This is something that God does. You know, he never asks us to do something that he's not prepared to do himself. And so God was faithful in his relationship. When Jesus gave his life, when God dealt with the issue of sin and gave his love to us and forgiveness, he was faithful to find a way for us to come back into the family of God. He was faithful to his promise in Genesis chapter 3 that he would find a way to get mankind back into relationship with God, back into the family of God, which is where he always intended us to be. And so love is always faithful to the relationship. It will find a way to make life better for the other person. So when I want to live in right standing with people, when I want to live in right relationship with people, then I'm faithful to the relationship to find a way of redemption and restoration. I'm not faithful to being right. I'm not faithful to getting my own way. I'm not faithful to making sure that I come out on top. No, I'm faithful to the other person's well-being. Now, they may not recognize that and they may not accept that and they may may not buy into it, but that's not the issue. I'm responsible for my life. They're responsible for theirs. And so we find here in this idea that God was faithful to the relationship, this is the idea of righteousness. And so righteousness has got two meanings to it. We tend to focus on one meaning and lose sight of the second meaning. The first meaning of righteousness is propitiation. Now this is a word, an unusual word, it's not used in our language anymore and it's only used about three or four times throughout the New Testament. But the idea of propitiation is that it was the penalty that was required for the forgiveness of sin. It was the sacrifice that was required for the forgiveness of sin. And so righteousness, 2 Corinthians 5 verse 19, He who knew no sin became sin on my behalf that I might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And so I have right standing with God because of propitiation. I have right standing with God. You have right standing with God because Jesus paid the penalty for our sin. But there's another meaning to 
righteousness. And it's the word expiation. And the word expiation actually means the removal of sin. So propitiation was the penalty for sin. But sin has been removed from the ledger in our lives. It's called expiation. And it means to be in right relationship. So righteousness means to have right standing with God, but it also means to be in right relationship with God. Expiation. And so inside of me being adopted back into the family of God, one of the things that God is wanting to develop in me and help me to grow in is to live in right relationship with people. And so that means that I need to be faithful to the relationship, which is an expression of love. And that is all buried inside of the idea of mutual submission. All of these things are all connected because this is what it means to live in the family of God, because this is how God lives with himself. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, perichoresis, the divine dance, mutual submission. And so there's this incredible uh, calling on our lives that if we can only learn to live like this, then the whole world will know that the Father sent the Son. So this is not just about us sort of ticking a box and getting it right somehow impressing God and impressing other people with how virtuous we are. Now, this is about us learning to let the Jesus who lives inside of us find full expression in the way that we live our lives. And that if we don't hold this as a value, you see, your personal culture will always come back to what you value. And one of the highest values that God is calling us to, well, the highest value in the New Testament is love. But underneath love, there is another value called mutual submission, because it's all about being faithful to the relationship. It's all about living in right relationship with one another. It's about righteousness. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. When we seek righteousness, what are we seeking? Well, we're seeking to not only have right standing with people, but to be in right relationship with people. If you want everything else added to you, then this is a really important topic for our consideration and for the way that we live our lives with one another and with Christ. And so it's all captured and summarised for me anyway uh, this morning. When I preach the next time, it'll be captured and summarised somewhere else, no doubt. But anyway, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31 and 32. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamour and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. You see, it all comes back to loving one another as he has loved us. It's the New Testament commandment. It's the commandment that we are called to live by. The two Old Testament commandments fulfilled the law and the prophets, although we were to fulfill the law and the prophets. Jesus fulfilled all of that. And so now the call is to love one another as Jesus loves us. Because if you try and love one another as you love yourself, you don't love yourself particularly well sometimes. You can be really critical of yourself. You wear shame and guilt and condemnation. And so therefore, you put that on other people if you're trying to love them as you love yourself. But what we've got to learn is to know how God has loved us. And so we've been deeply forgiven. And so do I actually know how forgiven I am? Do I really understand the price that it took? Apart from understanding the price that it took, do I understand the motivation that sat behind it? And the motivation that sat behind it was mutual submission. Because the father asked the son, would he die? And the son asked the Holy Spirit, would you get me out of the grave? And now that he has died and risen from the dead, the son says to the father, will you allow me to be the judge because I paid the penalty for their sin?
This is profound. This is why Paul said we're members one of another. This, this idea that we're exploring this morning is not just one of those nice fluffy ideas that you know, we muck around with as Christians. This goes to the core of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And that's why here Paul says, forgive each other just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. And so it's from that deep well of understanding that we then can be kind to one another and tender-hearted and forgiving each other. Because it comes back to the revelation that I have about how forgiven I am. And I live in that place where I recognize that I actually am now in right relationship with God and because I'm in right relationship with God, expiation, my, the sin has been removed from my life, I need to make right relationship with everybody else I high priority. And that not only do I make right relationship with them, I'm faithful to the relationship. I'm faithful to the requirements or the demands of right, right, having right relationship with people. And so I keep working at mutual submission. Finding my way through my pain, finding my way through my distress, finding my way through when people lie about me, finding my way through when I feel that I'm wrong or when I feel shamed or I'm afraid and I want to make them the problem, not me the problem. So let me try and land this to help you just how do you do this on a daily basis? Well, just a couple of thoughts for you to consider as we come to a close this morning. The first is this. If you squeeze a lemon, you get lemon juice. If you squeeze an orange, you get orange juice. If you squeeze a Christian, you should get Jesus juice. So when you're squeezed by life, when you're squeezed by a bad medical report, when you're squeezed by not having enough money to pay the bills, when you're squeezed by people who disagree with you and are making life challenging for you, when you're squeezed by people doing things that you would prefer them not to do, when you're squeezed by a sense of failure, when you're squeezed by a sense of condemnation, when you're squeezed by those things, what comes out of you? Does Jesus' juice come out or does something looking more like your juice come out? So what happens when we get squeezed by life is that we have a moment. Now we've got a target to actually turn the grace of God towards and turn the word of God towards and actually go on a redemptive process and say to the Lord, Lord, this is not how I think you would be responding right now. This doesn't look like mutual submission. And so now that it doesn't look like mutual submission, I now have an opportunity to bring it to you. So the first thing is, who are you under pressure? Because who you are under pressure is who you really are. When you get squeezed by life, you'll discover it's what comes out of the heart of a man that defiles him. And so, so what I've learned is that when I'm under pressure, how am I responding? That shows me where God is want to be, wanting to be at work in my life. So the second thing when I get squeezed, what am I going to do with it? Well, I'm going to be self-governing. What does it mean to be self-governing? Thank you for asking. It means that you are self-aware and you take personal responsibility. So you're self-aware that when you're squeezed, Jesus' juice isn't coming out. And then you take personal responsibility for it. You don't blame the other person for squeezing. No, what came out of your heart comes out of your heart. I say it like this. Nobody makes you get angry. You choose to get angry. I do accept that some people are really good at creating the environment where that choice is much easier for you to make. I accept that entirely. But you still choose it. So you're self-aware and you take responsibility for it. And so this is, this is how you became a Christian. You became self-aware that you were separated from God. 
and you took personal responsibility for it and you said, I'm the one who needs to get my end of this conversation right. I'm going to pray and ask Jesus to forgive me for my sin and I'm going to put my trust in Jesus. So you came to faith through self-awareness and personal responsibility. If that's how you have the greatest experience of transformation, of boom, you're now in the kingdom of God, surely that's the beginning point for all transformation for all restoration, for all redemption in our lives. And so when you're squeezed and you notice Jesus' juice isn't coming out, don't turn the finger and blame the circumstances or person that's created the squeeze. No, be self-aware and take personal responsibility for what's coming out of you. God's not intimidated by it. He, in fact, probably allowed the situation to occur so you could discover it because he wants to set you free. You see, when we're, behaving, when we're behaving in a way that's not Jesus' juice, what's going on really is that we're listening to some lies that are buried deep inside of us that God is wanting to help us to own and expose, that we'd exchange the life of the truth of the Word of God about who we are. And so it becomes a target. When Jesus' juice isn't coming out, God doesn't go, oh, you terrible sinner, you hopeless. He's forgiven all of your sin. That's not the issue. He's calling you up into your righteousness. He's not calling you out to punish you. He wants to help you get free of that stuff. You, you don't like it when you're like that. You don't like it when you give somebody the bird on the road because they cut you off. You don't like it after you've yelled at somebody that you love. You don't go away going, oh, wow, I feel really great now. I just stuck a knife in them. No, you go away going, what did I do that for? And so, so God is watching on and he's going, I can help you not do that again if you like, but I can only help you if you're self-aware and take personal responsibility. Stop asking me to change the other person. I'm trying to change you. <laughs> That's what mutual submission is. Mutual submission says, you know what? This is my issue. It's not yours. And I submit to the will of God and the work of God so that I might be in right relationship with you far better going forward. My final thought for your consideration this morning is when you get squeezed as Jesus just come out. If it's not, will you, take, will you become self-aware and take personal responsibility? The final thought is that when you do take personal responsibility, my Bible says, come before the throne of grace in time of need. I have a throne of acceptance. I have a throne room where God always welcomes me in because I'm a much-loved child of God. I'm chosen. I'm holy. I'm beloved. There is a throne of grace, empowering presence that's available to me when I need help. It's not a throne of condemnation. It's not a throne where God wants to shame me or make me feel guilty. No, it's a throne of acceptance where God says, I'm so pleased that you're here because I'm the only one that can help you. And I'm thrilled that you want to come and allow the work of the cross to find expression in that part of your heart. And so not only are we learning to be mutually submitted to one another, we're actually living in mutual submission to God. We're saying, God, this is... This is my deal and I'm submitting it to you. And I know that you love me so much that you'll help me to get free of it. So as we come to a close this morning, why don't you just think over the last probably week, you've probably had a time when you were squeezed and Jesus' juice didn't come out. I certainly know that I have in the last week. And as you think about that, or maybe you're in a situation where you're constantly getting squeezed at the minute and Jesus' juice isn't coming out. I want to encourage you this morning that there is a throne of grace available to you if you live in self-awareness and personal responsibility. And that one of the highest values of living the Christian life is to live in right relationship with one another. It's called righteousness. And when we seek it and the kingdom first, everything else works out. So what would it take for you to seek to be in right relationship with one another, to, be, to, to somebody that's causing you pain?
to be faithful to the relationship and pursue mutual submission, that you would become the person that Jesus has always called you to become so that you could help others to have the same experience. So as you think about that situation, I'm going to close in prayer. So Lord, I I just pray again for each of us. Lord, I'm asking that the power of the Holy Spirit would help people, Lord, to identify where Jesus' juice isn't coming out. That, Lord, you would help us to be humble enough to be self-aware and take personal responsibility. And, Lord, I ask right now that you would help my friends that have been listening today to come before the throne of grace in their time of need. And I just release grace to them right now, Lord. I release empowering presence. I release revelation knowledge to help them, Lord, to discover the lies that they're listening to, that they might embrace truth. Remembering that truth is a person. I am the way, the truth, and the life. That they would embrace Jesus and find your life flowing out of them. In Jesus' name. Amen. I'm not sure what I'm meant to do now, so I'm just going to walk away.